Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. A couple weeks ago, we began a series of messages simply entitled, End Times. And uh, we're going to continue there today and uh, for a few weeks following. uh, We'll just kind of decide how far to go. I I was just thinking in the first service, I got about 25% of what I was going to say said. Uh, So it may take me a few weeks to uh, get some stuff out. But I want to begin kind of going backward uh, to the the 5th century. Uh, In 410, Rome is sacked. Now, from Constantine 313 onward, Christianity just continued to gain momentum inside the Roman Empire. And when Rome is sacked in 410, literally Christians feel like it is the end of the kingdom of God because they really saw the the Roman Empire as being an extension of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jerome talks about how how he just wept and wept. Um, In a minute, I'll tell you what Augustine did. Uh, This is a natural tendency with empires. In fact, when when Rome finally fell, uh, Christianity in the minds of much of the world went over to the Eastern Empire to Constantinople. And it's literally for about a thousand years, most of the world considered Constantinople to be the center of Christianity. Constantinople falls in the mid-15th century, and in people's minds, particularly in the Russians' minds, Christianity, its, its base, its headquarters on earth, went from Constantinople to Moscow. Now, you may, if you go to the Kremlin, even today, there's seven churches inside the Kremlin. And if, if you went to Moscow in the year 1900, they would say to you, the world needs the Russian Christ. Because empires tend to take the religion and, and whatever the religion is, and they, they tend to think that the religion and the empire are the same. Now, I'm saying that to say this to you. Uh, The United States is an empire. It may be the most friendly one that the world's ever seen, right? But it is an empire. And there is a tendency for us to think that as America goes, so goes the kingdom of God. Right? I just want to tell you that that is not true. That is not true. In fact, 410, Rome is sacked. The Bishop of Hippo, who is uh, Augustine, we often refer to him as St. Augustine, He writes a book in response to all these people feeling like Christianity has has just taken this great blow and in many senses has fallen. He writes a book and it's called The City of God. Do not buy it. I read it, all 813 pages. It is the most boring book you'll ever read. But it was the most influential book in Christianity for a thousand years. For a thousand years. And it introduced a subject that we call today replacement theology, where they would look and they would look at the world and there was no Israel. Jews were dispersed throughout the world. 
And they're just thinking, man, it's impossible for the Jews to ever come back to Israel. That's never going to happen. And all of the promises that were made to Israel, God has rejected Israel, and all those promises are now for the church. Came around the Reformation. John Calvin stuck with it. Martin Luther stuck with it. Many of us that are sitting here today, or you're listening right now, and you're wherever you're at, we were brought up believing that Israel, there's, God has no promises to Israel. He has no destiny for Israel. But I'm here to tell you today that that is not true. Right? What is true is that for 1,878 years, there was no nation of Israel. But God said, I will disperse you among the nations. And listen, and in the last days, everybody say last days. In the last days, I will bring you back to your own land. And that is exactly what has happened. 1948, Israel becomes a nation after 1,878 years of not existing. It becomes a nation again. So we're going to take and we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. Because without understanding the book of Genesis, we cannot understand God's plan for the ages. And we won't understand God's end time. You cannot understand God's end game without understanding the book of Genesis. And literally in the entire Old Testament, the, the Bible's in two, two parts, by the way. There's what we would refer to as the Old Testament. And there is a New Testament. The old is the old way to seek God, the old way to be righteous. The new is the new way to seek God, the new way to be righteous. But back in this old covenant, God makes promises. And these promises still stand today. Maybe in the whole Bible, but for sure, in the Old Testament, the most important verses are found in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. By the way, that land is the land of Israel. He says, I will make you a great nation. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. The word great there is not just great. Not if you look up in the Hebrew. It is the supreme. It is above all others. Now, how many of you know Israel is not supreme and above all others today? But when Jesus comes back, it will be. Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Right? He told the, his, his disciples, he said, and this is in Acts chapter one, he told them, hey, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons that God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Right? He told his 12 disciples, you will sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel when I have my kingdom. Now, you see, what we often think in Western Christianity, we think Christianity is about getting me to heaven. It's not. Right. Are you going? If you're a believer, yeah, you're going, but only for a little while. Because you're coming back. Right. We've talked about that. You're coming back. Right. And, and really, Christianity is not about getting you to heaven. It's about getting heaven in you. That's what it's about. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're always trying to get there, and he's always trying to get there in us. Right? Kind of, we kind of missed it. I'll make you a great nation. 
I will bless you. I'll make your name great. It's about the year 2000. I'm in Barnes and Nobles. I'm looking at Time magazine. Abraham's picture is on the cover. I look at the next magazine. Abraham's picture on the cover. I look at the next magazine. Abraham's picture is on the cover. Listen to me. When you've been dead 4,000 years and everybody puts your picture on the cover of their magazine, your name's great. It just is. By the way, Abraham is the father of Christianity. Abraham is the father of Judaism. Abraham is the father of Islam. His name's great. Doesn't matter where you go. Everybody recognizes the name Abraham. You shall be a blessing. And this is God's state department's foreign policy. Verse three. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now, this, is, this stands today. It's true about nations. It's true about individuals. God says, I'll bless you if you bless Abraham and his seed in Israel. I'll curse you if you curse Abraham, his seed in Israel. And then a messianic prophecy, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let me just say this. The devil hates Jews and the devil hates Israel. And you say, why? Because of this right here. Because God said the Messiah was going to come through the Jewish people. How many of you realize the whole Bible, all our Bible, that came through Jewish people? I mean, there's only one author in the entire Bible that wasn't Jewish, and he converted to Judaism, and that's Luke. I think it's funny that some Christians love all the dead Jews and don't like the living ones. It just doesn't work. Right? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, God said this in, in Zechariah 2 and 8. For thus says the Lord God of hosts. He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Now, the apple of your eye is your pupil. Right? God says, you mess with Israel. You mess with the Jewish people. You are putting a stick in my eye. How many of you have ever had anything get in your eye? Much less in your pupil. I mean, it is like the most, you, you are immediately, I mean, it's so sensitive, it gets your attention, but immediately you react, right? And when, when we do not do it, when we do not bless Israel, when we touch Israel, when we touch the Jewish people, God says, you are putting a stick in my eye. That's one of the reasons that as a church, right, we support Israel. I mean, we support Israel financially. We, 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 we support a Bible school that's training Messianic Jews to reach into, into Israel, to win people to Jesus, Jewish people to Jesus, uh, pastoring Messianic synagogues in Israel. We do that as a church to bless them. And then we also, in just in kind of a, a social justice type of way, we also put help put up shelters to protect Jewish people from the attacks of the Palestinians with their rockets. But we do that to bless Israel and to bless the Jewish people. So little time comes past and God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And the custom was you would cut animals in half. You put them on altars. And this is in Genesis 15. Abraham does that. And then what the custom is, is the people that are making the covenant, they, they walk 
around these altars in, in figure eights. And of course, there's blood everywhere. And you make promises to each other. You say, this is what I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to do this for you. And I will support you. And if you ever need this, I'm, I'm there. And if you need this, I'm there. And you make promises. Right? So as it's time to make the covenant, the Bible says Abraham falls asleep. And it says, this is Genesis 15, verse 17. It came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. So a smoking oven and a flaming torch go through these pieces and they're walking and they're talking and they're making promises to each other. Now the Bible tells us who they are, all right? Galatians 3, verse 13. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say to seeds as to many. So it's not all the seed, it's to one seed. And to your seed, who is Christ. So literally, God the Father, God the Son, come down and walk in the blood through these pieces and make promises. Now, we are not told everything that's said. There's different places in the Scripture you can find different things that were said. But notice this. On the same day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, this is something God said. To your descendants, I will give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. It's the land of the Kenites, the Kedjizites, the Camasites, the Hittites, the Pepsilites, the Parasites, the Rephorim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the, Gersh the Gersheshites, and the Jebusites. Now, God is walking through blood, and he says to Jesus, I'm giving this. How many of you know it stands? It is a divine land grant. There is no other nation on the face of the earth that had the creator of the earth make a covenant promise and say, this is your land. Now, uh, why don't we just throw up our first, our first little map here. I want to show you. Uh, if you look down towards the bottom, you'll see the Dead Sea, kind of that, that nice turquoise little sea there. A little bit to your right, you will see Hebron. Right? Now, that is where Abraham is standing when this promise is made. He is in Hebron. Now, you'll also notice that it's West Bank. It's not officially Israel. It's Palestinian territory. By the way, in, in the Bible, that is called Judea. It is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah. Hebron is where David was king when he became king of, 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 first of Israel, first of all, for seven and a half years, that's the place. And by the way, uh, it, it may be West Bank now, but how many of you know it's going to be Israel sometime? Because it's part of what God has promised by covenant. He said to Abraham, and if God ever breaks his word, he holds all things together by the power, by, by the authority by the, the tenacity, by the fact that his word cannot be broken. So how important is this covenant? Well, Joel 3, listen to this. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, God said, I'll spread them over the earth, but in the last days, I'm going to bring them back. 
I will also gather all the nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into judgment with them there. Now notice the valley of Jehoshaphat, also called the valley of Jezreel and the valley of Armageddon. Anybody ever heard of it? We've all heard about Armageddon. Well, what's Armageddon about? Well, this is what it's about. I'll gather them all down to that valley. I'll enter into judgment with them there on the count of my people, the Jews, my heritage, Israel, whom they've scattered among the nations. They've also divided my land. The purpose of Armageddon, listen, is to judge nations on how they have treated the Jewish people and how they have treated Israel. That is the purpose of Armageddon. We just say, oh, it's just the end of the world. No, it is a special judgment on nations, on how they treat the Jewish people, how they treat Israel. Uh, we've got a picture of, of the valley. Uh, I believe this one, I believe, is taken from the top of Mount Carmel, which is, uh, in fact, uh, usually when you, when you go and see this valley, it's about 50 miles long, by the way. It's huge. Napoleon was there. It was either 1800 or 1801, right in there. Napoleon was there. Uh, he stood there and he said, all of the armies of the world could maneuver in this valley. Well, there's going to be some maneuvering that's going to take place in that valley. So, so uh, typically you go and right where, this is where Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Right? And you can go where the traditional spot is. And uh, there's a monastery there and a, a special viewing area where you can pray and, and uh, look out over that valley. Right? Down to, you, to the right as you're looking out, you'll see Mount Gilboa where King Saul is killed. And across the way is Mount Tabor, which is where the Mount of, Transfigura Mount of Transfiguration. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, God takes the prophet Ezekiel and shows him a valley, and it's full of bones. They're disconnected, and they're very dry. And God says to the prophet, can these bones live again? And he says, God, uh, only you know if they can live again. And I remember the song, you know, uh, the knee bones connected to the hip bone, you know, about the valley of dry bones. About, so God says, prophesy to those bones. And the bones stand up and they connect. The hip bone connects up here to the hip bone. And the hip bone connects to the backbone. And everything connects. And he says, prophesy. And they cover with flesh, with, with uh, muscle. And then he prophesies again and they cover with flesh. And then he prophesies again and life comes into them. And they stand up. And this is what God says. He says, this is the whole house of Israel. He says, I'm going to bring them back. I am going to resurrect this nation that no longer exists. And I am going to resurrect them. And I'm going to put my spirit in them. And then he says, verse 14, I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and have performed it, says the Lord. Right? Ezekiel 36 I'll take you from among the nations and I'll gather you out of all the countries and I'll bring you back to your own land. Bring them back to their own land. Now, God says in Ezekiel 36, for thus says the Lord on that day, 
that I will cleanse you from all your iniquities and I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. When you go to Israel, they will show you all of these new settlements. I don't know if there's any exceptions to this. They're all built on ancient ruins. That's where they go. They go to the ancient ruins and they build the new settlement. God prophesied that would happen. He said, the desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of those who pass by. When Mark Twain took a trip to Israel, it's about 1870. He talks about the mournful expanse. Talks about going from Jericho to Jerusalem. He says, we never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. It was desolate. But God said, it will be tilled instead of lying desolate. And then he goes on and he says, in that land that was desolate shall become like the Garden of Eden. And when you go to Israel, it is just absolutely amazing as you go past plantation after plantation, and there's every type of fruit that you can possibly think of, and, and huge. I, I remember back in 1983, I went, and I could barely get three strawberries in my hand. They were so big. Looking at cabbages that are this big. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Israel produces more food per acre than any nation on the face of the earth. It's one of their main exports. It used to be desolate. God said, that's what's going to happen when they come back. I said, then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. He said, he's spoken. He's going to do it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 8. And after many days you will be visited in the latter years. When is this going to happen? The latter years. You will come into a land that was brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. God says that in the last days, he's going to bring the Jewish people back. And then this we're going to talk about this probably next week or the following. This Ezekiel 38, 39 coalition of nations that come and attack Israel and how God stands up for them in the last days and fights for them. So Jesus actually tells us, he says, when you see Israel become a nation, when you see that fig tree, he says, you know that the time is near. And then in Luke 21, Jesus prophesied about Jerusalem. He said, they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. June 6, 1967, once again, the Jewish people gain control of the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus' prophecy is fulfilled. We are living in the last days. So I want to talk to you for a couple minutes about supporting Israel. Right? Now, the number one reason, now my list is not maybe the number one reason, it's the number one reason on my list of 15 reasons. All right. Number one, Ezekiel 35, verse 5. Because you've had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. Because you have had an ancient hatred. Ezekiel wrote 2,700 years ago. 2,700 years ago. The hatred of the Jewish people was 
ancient. It's not new. It did not come about when, when the Jewish people came into their own land. It was around 2,700 years ago. And when Ezekiel talked about it 2,700 years ago, it was already ancient. And you say, why is it ancient? Because it is demonically motivated. The devil wants to do everything that he can to keep God from fulfilling his promises to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel. And to do that, he does everything he can to get people to hate the Jewish people, whether it's Hitler, what, 70, 80 years ago, Haman, Hamas, the PLO, the squad, all of it is demonically motivated. And remember, God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Listen to Psalms 83. This is written by Asaph. And by the way, Asaph is like kin. He's the praise and worship leader for King David. All right. He said, oh God, don't keep silent. Don't hold your peace or be still, oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar and those who hate you have raised their head. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. And they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagarites, Jerbal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Due to them as to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishron, who were destroyed at Endor and became dung for the ground. And make their nobles like Obed and Zeb, and all their princes like Zeba and Zebnua. Now, when you look here and you say, look, he's saying make them like Obed and Zeb and their princes like Zeba and Zebnua. What is he talking about? I think there's a really, there's a great clue. So, so we go back and here's what happened. It's in Judges 8, verse 26. Now they've conquered these kings. And it says, now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, purple robes that were on the kings of Midian and besides the chains which were around their camel's necks. Notice the crescent pendant, crescent pendants. This is 3,300 years ago. 3,300 years ago in that part of the world, the moon god was worshipped and his symbol was a crescent. Jump ahead, 7th century. Go to Mecca. Muhammad is initiating a new religion. And in Mecca at that time, there was the Kaaba. It was a house of worship. In that Kaaba were 360 gods. The number one god was the moon god. And his name was Allah. That was his name. So what, what Muhammad did was he took a polytheistic group and he eliminated 359 false gods and kept one. Right? He kept Allah. Now, if you are in the Middle East, in fact, if you find a mosque, not a building that's rented, but a mosque that's been built, this is what you're going to find on the minaret that's on top. It's the crescent moon. It's the symbol of Islam because really Allah is and was the moon god. 
People have said, is, is Allah the God of the Bible? No, he's not the God of the Bible. Right? Allah is and was the moon God. Right? I just thought I'd throw that in. I think it's interesting. When it talks about those that are going to attack, that they were worshipers of the moon God. Still today, every one of the nations that's mentioned here is Islamic and a worshiper of that same God. Now, I know there's a lot of differences of opinion, but I just want to say a couple of things that have happened recently. Right? Uh, I, I think our president did some things that were very unexpected. The U.S. pulled out of the Iran deal. Now, the Iran deal put Iran on a path to a nuclear weapon. And I'm going to show you in just a moment, whether it was Israel, whether it was Saudi Arabia, Jordan, uh, the United Arab Emirates, everybody felt betrayed by what was, was happening because they all knew that what Iran's plans are is to take over the entire region. President Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was a major, major thing. Uh, the U.S. imposed harsh sanctions on Iran. The U.S. pulled out of the U.N. Human Rights Council because of their biased stand against Israel. And the U.S. under President Trump recognized Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Now, all these peace deals, people just asked me last week, what do all these peace deals mean that are going on in the Middle East? Well, first, let me say that President Obama set it up. He set it up because all of these nations felt betrayed. They felt like, look, Iran is trying to take over. And let me just say this. Iran hates Saudi Arabia more than they hate Israel, more than they hate America. They call us the great Satan and Israel the little Satan, but they hate Saudi Arabia even more. See, there are, there's different sects inside of Islam. There's the Sunnis and there's the Shias. And they have killed each other by the tens of millions, right? And that, that this battle has been going on for 1,300 years. They've been fighting each other, right? And, and uh, the, 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 the Saudis are so fearful of Iran becoming nuclear because they feel the first bomb is going to fall on Saudi Arabia. Right? And the other countries in the Middle East, they're afraid of Iran. Right? So when President, became, President Trump came into office, the first international trip that he took was to Saudi Arabia. The Saudis invited him and says, come see us. And when you leave us, go straight to Israel because we want you to talk to Israel for us because we're ready to make a peace treaty because we recognize the enemy of our enemy is our friend. The enemy of our enemy is our friend. Right? So then we have Turkey in the Middle East um, with President Erdogan. In uh, 2016, there was a coup to attempt to take him out, which failed. And since then, he is in control of the military, He's in control of the judicial system. He's in control of the media. He literally is 100% in control of everything that goes on in Turkey. Now, what Turkey wants to do, and we're going to get into this scripturally in the near future, probably in a week or two, right? What Turkey is planning to do is they are planning on bringing back to life the caliphate. You say, what is the caliphate? It is Islamic rule, right? But they're, going to, they're, they're planning on ruling every place that the Ottoman Empire ruled. 
And people know that in the Middle East. And again, you have nations in the Middle East that are looking at Turkey, who has nuclear weapons, who is still a part of NATO, but really is uh, doing everything that it possibly can to hurt Israel and to bring unrest into the area. So the, the peace agreement was a huge shift because all of these nations had been very concerned, number one, about the Palestinians, but that has fallen to the side because they're more concerned about their own survival. And they're saying, we will do anything what we can to bring some stability because we've got Iran, which wants to go nuclear and wants to take them out. And they've got Turkey that wants to take and reestablish the caliphate. They want to rule the entire region down uh, into Africa. So we want to stand with Israel because when we bless Israel, God says, you'll be blessed. When you curse Israel, and when you curse the Jews, you will be cursed. And by the way, God said they will be a blessing. Again, the roots of Christianity are in Judaism. They gave us our Bible. They gave us our Messiah. And by the way, they are a blessing. Of the 15 to 17 million Jews that are in the world today out of our 7.5 billion people, it is amazing. (laughs) They should have earned one of the 502 Nobel Prizes in physics and chemistry and medicine and psychology, if you look at their numbers, they should have gotten one. If you take 1,000 people, random people of the world, two would be Jews. But instead of having one Nobel Prize, they've won 123. In the sciences, Jews have won 22% of the Nobel Prizes, 29% since 1950, after a third of their numbers were taken out. A fourth of the the field medals in in economics and mathematics have gone to Jews. Uh, 38% of the Nobel Prizes for economics have gone to Jews. Why is that? Because God said they would be a blessing. They would be a blessing. And they are a blessing, right? And remember, God said he would judge the nations for how they treat the Jewish people and how they treat Israel. Um, I I read a book a a while back. Uh, This was the book that took me longer than any other book. Uh, I had it at my bed. And and the name of this book is is A People's Tragedy. And it's about the end of the Romanov Empire. Now, the Romanovs ruled Russia for over 300 years. And so it's talking about 1900 and the years coming up to 1917 when the Romanov Empire fell. And uh, it was not an exciting book. Again, I'd read four pages and fall asleep. (laughs) So it took a long time. It took me a couple years to read that book, sitting by the side of my bed. But I thought it was very, very interesting that there were over a thousand laws that they had in Russia that were against nobody, limiting no one except the Jews. You couldn't own property. You couldn't be a military officer. You couldn't go to the university. Over a thousand laws. Just, you're a Jew. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. But you know what God says? He says, I'll judge you for that. I'll judge you for that. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So I got two points out of 15, so that's pretty good. (laughs) We got started. 
But uh, next week, we're going to be looking at some of Ezekiel's prophecies, some of Daniel's prophecies. And uh, it, it, it is absolutely amazing that when, when you look at what's happening in the world and you look at Bible prophecy, it's like a hand fitting right into a glove. Right? And God did that, he said, because I want you to know that I know the end from the beginning. I know the end from the beginning. Right? God has an end game, and he is moving this world towards that end that he's planned. Right? Now, we talked about it. It's not the end of the world. Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule. He's going to reign for a thousand years. And then the eternal kingdom. So would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Wherever you're at online, would you bow your head if you can? And uh, I know there's people that have lived for God for decades and decades. But there's others that you're away from God. You're not right with God. And if you're that person who says, look, I want to be right with God. What does God need me to do? What is God asking of me? He wants you to turn your back on your old life. Stop living to please yourself and receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. Live for him, not living for yourself. Say, Jesus, I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to live for you. I want you to live in me, and I want you to live through me. I am done with the past, and I want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. I want him to save me. I want him to rescue me. I want him to forgive me. I want him to make me new, and I want to live the abundant life that he came for me to live. All right. Now, if you're with somebody that you came with, you're sitting next to them, would you please take their hand. Only if you came with them, only if they're your friend, your family, you came with them, take their hand. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Online, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe that his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my King. Be my Savior. I want to live for you. I receive the forgiveness that you purchased for me. Make me new, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.